Hello, welcome to Series 2, Episode 10 of To The Studio, which concludes our second season as a podcast. I want to take the chance to thank you all for listening and for the support you guys give us week by week. It makes this feel really worthwhile and we're really happy we're managing to reach so many of you. We also really want to be able to continue putting out these episodes week on week, but at present I'm finding it fairly difficult to keep up with the running costs of each season. So as a podcast, we're looking together at possible fundraising methods to help us out a bit, definitely avoiding having to stick ads in all over the place, which I know can really grate on you as a listener. So if you do enjoy our episodes and you think you might be interested in helping us out a bit, please keep an eye on our Instagram page for updates on how you can go about that soon. We know these times are particularly tough for everyone, but a little help would go a long way for us. But now on to the most important bit, our episode this week with Emma Talbot. Emma is an artist based in London and is winner of the 8th Max Mara Art Prize for Women. Through drawing, painted silk hangings, three-dimensional forms, installation, sound, and most recently, animation, Emma has developed a distinct visual world. Her work explores personal subjectivity, which is then cast into the wider context of prevalent contemporary concerns, such as our relationship with nature, our intimate engagement with technology, the way we communicate, and power structures. Emma's work has a hand-drawn, direct quality, using combinations of figurative imagery, painted text, and flowing pattern to articulate non-linear narratives. Recent exhibitions include GEM, Kunstmuseum, The Hague, a 2019 art commission at William Morris Gallery in London, Tate St Ives, Turner Contemporary, and Arcadia Mesa in New York. Emma has forthcoming solo exhibitions at Eastside Projects in Birmingham, Dundee Contemporary Arts, and Kunsthalle Gießen in Germany, the Whitechapel Gallery 2, and Collezioni Maramotti. In my chat with Emma, we cover her new ventures into animation, the importance of attachment and honesty, finding strength in vulnerability, how classical mythology informs the rhetoric of our modern governance, to how her interests in Gustav Klimt's painting The Three Ages of Women initiated the proposed body of work she'll be making for the Max Mara Art Prize in Italy. So thank you very much again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy our chat. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. It's really nice to see you. Yeah, you too. You too. Yeah. <laughs> how, how are you? Are you getting on okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, it's, it's kind of weird, isn't it? It's like you really have to readjust your whole life, the way you, mm. the way you do everything, mm. and then you kind of get into it somehow. Yeah. And are you, are you managing to make work at, at home? How's, how's that all working out? Yeah, so I'm at home. I mean, I, I actually now I'm going to start going to my studio again. Mm. But 
at the beginning of lockdown, I had pneumonia. So I oh, had no. this kind of weird bit of time where I had to really stay in and be really careful about, you yeah. know, not going out. And then I, I'm at home and I started making animations because I, you know, I, I draw a lot at home. Mm. But it's it's kind of something that I was planning to do for ages and not ever doing, not ever getting around <laughs> to. Mm. And then I thought, well, this is a really good time to just teach myself to use the software because I can, you know, just take time over it. Mm. And actually, that's been a really compelling thing to do. So I've got a bit obsessive about <laughs> doing that, you mm. know. And that's, that's a funny thing because I'm so used to making quite large work, being in a studio, being quite sort of physical about the making, and to be making things using a computer and sitting at a desk is just a very different mode mm. for me. But at this period of time, it's been really good. Yeah. Do you think that will maybe kind of change Sorry. the way you make work in future? Um, kind of from here on in, will it will it shift how things? work for you or is it just another kind of thread maybe um i think it's yeah it's more like another thread because i just before lockdown i mean i was on a sort of um really full schedule like my my schedule was sort of very packed just before lockdown and so mm. um i was making installations and i was making an installation for um, Eastside projects in Birmingham and that was going to have a sound piece in the installation so I'd already been making sound and I had a sound piece in the show I did in the um, Kunstmuseum in The Hague mm. um, so I'd already been doing things like that alongside the painting and drawing and the three-dimensional work and making installations that were more like environments um, and so the animation is just like an extension in a way of the way the work was going with the sound, I guess. Mm. It doesn't feel very unnatural. No, they definitely like... don't seem unnatural. It seems like a, yeah, if, in a, strangely, it seems like, it feels like even though you say that they're new, to me they don't feel like there's something new for you. It just feels like a, such a natural way of, for you to be making. Yeah, it's true. It's, I thought the other day that they're like, if, if you imagine that when I'm drawing, I'm trying to access, you know, what I'm thinking, mm. it's almost like the animation is like you can sort of go into that world and look around. Mm. Whereas what I've been producing before was a static image. That's like taking a fragment out of my mind to show you. Mm. But this is like with the animation, it feels like you get to sort of walk around a bit in the atmosphere of the space of that imagination. Mm. It, it feels very, very natural as a way of making the work or mm. the work develop. Yeah, yeah, because because you've made, as you say, you've always made like drawings and text works kind of separately, um, mm. and and a lot of the time those those two things combine as well. Um, I, I guess it might be it might be a nice way to start things off if kind of you describe what your relationship to drawing and, and, and writing is and what those things are f for you? Mm, they're, they're really important. They're, I think they're things that have always been a part of what 
I've wanted to do for as long as I can remember. But I think that some of the ways that I draw and paint, draw and write, say, now, I mean, when I say drawing, it's weird because I, I call it drawing, but I'm always using a brush. Mm. So it's sort of close to painting. But anyway, I think all the time I was always using drawing and writing, but I felt when I was younger, I think, that I was sort of embarrassed about my writing, like it couldn't be seen by anyone. Mm. And then I think, you know, that sort of imaginative drawing where you just you make it up, not in reference to anything else, that sort of got a bit lost at a certain point when, you know, maybe when you start going to art school and you learn more about, you, you get educated and you sort of have different ambitions, you sort of maybe leave behind some of those very natural ways of working. Mm. And then um, quite a long time later, I just really wanted a way to articulate my thinking very directly, just for myself. And, and the way that I could do that would be through making drawings and looking at what I was thinking. And those drawings would also be text. Mm. So writing and not being scared of what that writing said, mm. even though someone could, you know, writing is very direct because you can read it and you can, you know, it's quite, it can be quite precise about what thoughts are, mm. rather than sometimes an image can be quite enigmatic and you can say, I don't know really what that means, mm. Mm. but, you know, it carries something, whereas writing can be very uh, explicit. And therefore, for me, it seemed a bit more scary, I think, because yeah. you're actually doing something. And then it felt like, well, that's actually a better, uh, it's a better thing for me because I can have these very direct and explicit ways of telling and then more enigmatic modes. Mm. And, and these can be balanced and... And I don't know, somehow I just lost the, the um, fear that I had about, you know, just saying what you think. Mm. Mm. Do you, you mentioned a bit about your art education then. How, um, if, if, if you can remember the work that, that you were making kind of back, back then, were you, was it concerned with, with kind of very similar things? Um, and I guess when kind of, when came the bravery to, to, to think, no, these, these, these text works are just as valid and I'm, I'm brave enough now to, to share them? Uh, yeah, they never, they never included any text at all. I mean, I used to write just in notebooks for myself and mm. I would never show that to anybody. I just didn't feel confident about it. Um, is it because they uh, were quite personal, do you think? Was it quite personal reflections or were they...? Yeah, and also um, because I I thought I wasn't very good at writing, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just wasn't confident about it. About Yeah, I think it was, it was personal and um, it wasn't formal. I just didn't think I was very good at writing. I liked reading a lot. Mm. But I, uh, there was just a barrier there about a kind of permission to be very open about your own thoughts. And you're right, it's probably because it was private, you know, mm. it's probably personal. Um, but 
so I always made like a college. I mean, you know, I, I feel like when you say that, I went to a lot of colleges. When you, you know, it's probably the same yeah. for you because I, I went to foundation. Mm. I did a BA. I went to foundation in Canterbury. I did a BA in Birmingham, and then I did my MA in at the Royal College. Yeah. Um, so that seems like a lot of college. Yeah, <laughs> and they're very different different places as well to to, to study. Yeah, in. yeah, very different places. But um, I think I always made figurative work mostly all the way through my BA, painting, oil painting, um, and quite large scale and quite ambitious paintings. <clears throat> and then when I went to the Royal College, I think I sort of really wanted to change what I was doing. And I also, it, it was a funny time because it was ages ago. It was like the beginning of the 90s. Actually, I was at the Royal College in the mid 90s. And so it was a time when painting was really, you know, being declared dead. And it was, it didn't have the kind of energy that it has now. It, it was, the energy for painting was very sort of restrained, I think. And I'd been making these sorts of quite energetic, I suppose, figurative paintings on my BA. And I just felt they were old fashioned, you know, mm. and I wanted to be a contemporary artist. And so I think I was on my MA sort of trying to figure out then how do you, how do you make that move? Like, what do you do? to do that, which mm. is quite a difficult thing to figure out. Yeah. So I made lots of very weird and complicated paintings, <laughs> very sort of um, confused about it. Mm. And then and then anyway, so this is like long, long story short, because it is a really long time. Then mm -hmm. a very long time later in about 2000 and say seven or eight, I'd, I, I mean, I feel like I've talked about this a lot and it's kind of repetitive for maybe people who kind of know a little bit about my life, but mm. um, my husband died and that really had a sort of profound effect on um, me making because I just didn't believe in, I didn't think the work I was making fitted what I was feeling and it was quite a, difficult time to try to make and I thought I was going to give up being an artist and I um, started to get rid I just got rid of everything in the studio and I got rid of all my paint and you know how if you paint with oil paints mm -hmm. you kind of over time accumulate I had accumulated all the old Holland paints all different colors of yeah. old Holland paints and it's a bit like a very messy sweet shop <laughs> yeah. where, you know you, you have all these colors and you have loads and loads of stuff and I just thought I don't I just don't want any of this anymore or I, I can't you know I just can't it's all artificial it felt very artificial so I really was at a very sort of ground zero point and at that point the only thing I could do not that I was making myself do anything but the only thing I could do was to make very simple drawings mm. like small like with watercolor and i wanted them to be really weak and really pathetic and really 
uh, sort of capture what I felt like. And I think I made the first ones on the back of envelopes. Um, you know, I just wanted them to be just nothing. Mm. But in doing that, I felt like this is genuine. You know, it, it means something to me. It has real meaning. And I started weirdly carrying them around with me. And, and there was something about if I'm carrying these around, then I must be very attached to them. Mm. And that's a much better feeling than I'd ever had about my work before. So I, I felt like I connected to my, I connected my work to myself. Mm. You know, my work became me, rather than my work trying to be me as I'd like the outside to see me, mm. you know, which is what I think the work was more concerned about that, you know, an outward sort of mm. facing demonstration mm. if that makes sense yeah yeah um and i i find that that sense of vulnerability maybe that that you're talking about it's it's something that's still so so present in the work now and i i feel your work has so much power in in that vulnerability and in that kind of direct honesty um and yeah i mean i've I, th- I think I, I think I contacted you. I, I saw your show in um, in in Amsterdam, and um, it's it's only a, one of the few ever works that's done it. But I was I was actually I, I didn't want to tell you by text, but <laughs> I was actually moved to tears in there. And it's only um, it's one of the very few times that's ever happened to me with artwork. And um, and I guess it, it's interestingly the way you're the way you're talking about the realizations that you've had. Um, via via the very 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 different means, but um, that that show for me was a realization that maybe my my work needs to be a, a lot more honest and a lot more direct than maybe I'm allowing it to be, and made me think about reasons why I might not not be letting that happen. Um, and and yeah, I guess that's more and more a comment rather than a question for me. But um, yeah, it's very really interesting about honesty. <clears throat> because I, I mean, I think one of the things that you said is about sort of letting yourself be vulnerable. It's not like making yourself be vulnerable, mm. but it's it's actually. I think that um, when I wanted the work to be really, really weak, it was as if until then I had been trying to make myself be really, really strong you know, Mm. like be really capable, be really professional, be really good at painting or whatever that means, be Mm. really, like try to be all these things. That Mm. the part of the problem, I think, when you're an artist is that if you're trying to be all these things and you don't really believe you are them, then you can have these really elated moments where you see yourself being there and then these terrible crash moments where you, you feel like I'm not any of that and it you know, you, you doubt and you get very upset, you know. Mm. That sort of roller coaster experience was something that I found really unpleasant in terms of being an artist. Mm. But as soon as I made the work very sort of honest in terms of what I was interested in and what I really was thinking about and 
what I really wanted to make, then it felt like I didn't have that roller coaster experience anymore. I felt mm. like it was okay just to be me and make the work and have these thoughts and it was okay, you mm, know, and it yeah. was actually a very nice conduit through which you could um, sort of somehow articulate your thoughts in a really inventive way, you mm. know, and it was fun. Yeah, yeah. It just like a lot of permission. I'd given myself a lot of permission that before then I'd been quite um, anxious about, I don't know how to put it, mm. things well enough or yeah yeah it's it's where where do you think those kind of anxieties come from in terms of kind of not feeling like you can be honest or you have to be something other than what you are do you think education does that to a degree or do you think that's just a, a pressure that you might put on yourself in, in, in like in comparing yourself to others or, or something i think it's probably a lot of different things all combined together. I, I think maybe if there's something in, it depends how you come at making art, you know, but my experience is probably similar to a lot of people in that I could draw quite well and that set me apart from other people in school, say, who couldn't draw as well. It was just something I could do. And there's a point when you, if you can draw, when you leave behind, you, you can make an illusion and it impresses, it impresses people. It's like, you know, when you see like 13 year olds making drawings of tinfoil, <laughs> tinfoil moment, this sort of crumpled tinfoil and they can make all the shading and make this mm. really illusionary image and it looks very skillful mm. and it's kind of, funny when it's funny for us looking back at I, I haven't kept any of my 13 year old drawings <laughs> but if you look back at that it's funny because you can see how sort of unskilled and clunky it is mm. but at the time it seems very illusionary and impressive and there is something about making an illusion in painting I'm talking about painting and drawing mm. making an illusion that's convincing that is a sort of skill that then makes you think I can make illusions come about. And that is, there's something about being able to do that at the beginning that feels very um, attractive. And then the problem with that is that illusion is like a facade, mm. isn't it? So bound into making, any type of making is a sort of, skill or excellence you know if you think of a musician and they you know learn skillfully how to play something how to play an instrument mm. they there's a kind of um illusion or a, a sort of facade of this kind of brilliance you know they have a kind of talent and then mm. they also have to work really really hard to make that happen make that come about mm. it's in a way art has that sort of attached to it you know and so when you're at art school I know a lot of people who have been through the art school experience will say well they told me to do this and that might be the wrong route or I was told that and I was told this as mm -hmm. if somehow those 
tutors <laughs> are really in command of your life. Yeah. Um, but the truth is that, you know, they're probably just responding to what you're giving them. Mm. And if you were making really naive looking paintings and they weren't authentic, they would ask you why. And if you were making naive looking paintings and they were authentic, they would ask you if you wanted to learn to not be so naive. <laughs> yeah. So it's a kind of um, process more than, um, you know, I think education has to work in certain ways because it has to ask you why you're doing something and what you'd like to do. Mm. But I think part of the process of finding your way through art is ask, you know, you have to meet those questions about, you know, how skillful would I like to be? How, how much do I like artifice? You know, how slick do I really want things to be? Mm. Cause it might be really important or how, how sort of raw could it be for me? And, mm. and art can only match the person who's making it. Mm. Mm. But sorry, it feels like a, a lot, a long answer, but I think in the end, the art that you make can only be what you would do. Yeah. Mm. You know, because it, it is also very much about the person who's making it. Yeah. Yeah. At that period in time, mm. you know, they might really, really change what you want. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I think. As well, when when I, whenever I look at your work, although it seems rooted in um, a personal perspective of things, they always seem to succeed in articulating a kind of collective consciousness or a spiritual connectedness. Maybe um, they kind of maps maps a way of thinking about kind of what it might mean to exist in in in, in the world now. Um, and are, are these things that you? can think about when, when you're making or that you're concerned with? Yeah, definitely. I mean, although the work deals with that sort of inner monologue, I sort of hesitated to say monologue because I think, well, there's probably a lot of different voices in, mm. in a head, you know. <laughs> but that sort of inner narrative, that, that kind of constant internal thing, I'm really fascinated about, you know, ways to sort of share that because we all have that in the work a personal thing mm. but I also it's really important for me that those aspects of the work are sort of put into a wider context because we're people in the world you know we're not we're not only private personal beings we're in a much wider context and we're informed by it and we're affected by it and we also have all of these different um, layers of thinking. And, I, and I'm trying to put together a sort of, yeah, an articulation of all of those modes. So I go through in the work, I go through really the things that I'm most interested in, in at the time of making. Mm. And, and I'm trying to make a, a sort of discourse in the work, which is really honestly what I'm thinking but sort of sharing it with a viewer as if to say you know it's like reading a novel in the first person that so you could imagine that that character you know it's not you but you can 
sort of listen to their thoughts and you can hear what they're thinking you feel like you know them and you're with them and it's almost like you get to look through their eyes or experience things through them mm. and so it I'd quite like it to be like that and I also want it to be like it's really grounded in the the way the world you know in issues that are real for us yeah. or very pressing maybe for us mm. yeah yeah um yeah that's yeah that, that, that's great that's that's definitely how i how i've read every, more or less everything that you made um and I, I guess i also wanted you to ask um i listened to the um to your chat with emma emma cousins on on, on her podcast yeah. um and it's it's it was funny because it, it started off in, in a chat about kind of clothes and what clothes you wear to the studio um but yeah. then it kind of led in into a discussion about um uh, a, a studio mode or the idea of a of a studio mode um and i i kind of wondered what what you might define as you know, your your studio mode and and how you use your studio and and get into making what you do um i'm very immediate so i'm see this is one of the things that i'm finding quite curious about this period of time is that I would usually get up in the morning, leave the house pretty much immediately, go to the studio and yeah. be there for a very long time, come home late at night, just the house is almost like a shell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of spend a very long time in my house and now, you know, I'm sort of confronted with all the DIY jobs that we do. <laughs> Now I have to be in, in the house much more, but I, I'm usually um, in, if I'm in the studio, I'm in the studio for quite a long time and I'm making things very rapidly, I'd say, very immediately. So all the, um, I mean, the three-dimensional work takes a bit longer, but if I'm painting, large-scale paintings, I make them sort of very like relatively quickly because you can't it's not like you can sort of change very many things it's not like oil painting you can't sort of scrape scrape back or mm. sort of shift things around you've made a mark you've you've written something you've made an image and you you know that's that's very direct mm. um and i think um yeah, that, that time is either, like, quite often I'm there by myself, I'm listening to loads of podcasts, I'm listening to whatever music, and I'm, I've am i got a real plan of what it is I am going to do. Mm. And, um, and I'm very sort of dedicated to that, that, that that's what I'm doing. Um, and then sometimes I have... Um, an assistant come to the studio who's really amazing um, and she helps me when we're putting together really big work and it's just really really difficult for one person to do mm. that so she's often helping me with like when we're sewing together really big silk pieces or we're sort of constructing something I need someone else with me to help me um, so that's it's nice that the studio can sort of shift from being a really 
personal space where I'm just by myself in my own thoughts. And then other times it feels a bit more sociable because there are two of us and then, mm. you know, we stop for lunch and <laughs> we, you know, we behave a bit more like humans. Yes. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, but it's, I mean, my studio is quite close to where I live and I've been there in that block for about 12 years, I think. Oh, wow, that's great. It's quite, um, it's somewhere that I'm very, you know, used to being. Mm. Is, is that familiarity in, important to you, do you think? Would it be tough if you had to kind of shift studio every few years? Well, I was about to before we got into lockdown. I was oh. about to leave my studio because I was going to Rome and mm. I was going to eat six months. Yeah. Um, so I was about to pack everything up. But I'd actually moved the, I'd moved studio, like I'd stayed in the same block, but I moved studio about, I don't know, a year ago, or a couple of years ago. And so I had packed everything up already. And I kind of, you know, it's only down the corridor. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that in the last couple of years, because I have been doing a lot of shows abroad, because I travelled such a lot it felt really nice to have my studio base and then I would be going away a lot mm. so it felt like I was um it wasn't as kind of singular as it sounds you know and also it's a space I know I can work so that there didn't seem to be anything wrong with that but I was quite excited I think about being somewhere completely different and working in a completely different space and you know mm. I, I don't have a kind of plan to stay there for the rest of my life mm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay <laughs> <laughs> well you mentioned um you mentioned going to italy and i wanted to congratulate you on um on winning that max Moore prize it's it's incredible and um yeah very very well done um and I, I, I guess I wondered what 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 it means what it means for you to to have won that. Um, it's amazing to be honest. I mean, the shortlist was a a really great shortlist. Yeah. And um, I think I ha I really had a project that I wanted to do, and I really wanted to do it. <laughs> yeah. So it felt. I, I was very surprised to be nominated. I was very, um, it was very exciting to be nominated. And the shortlist was so strong that I didn't um, imagine that I would win it. So when I did, I was gobsmacked. I was very surprised. Um, and it took a bit of time for it to sink in that mm. that had already happened. Um, but the thing is that it, because I had a project that I really wanted to do, it meant that I could do something that I was so um, hopeful to do. That, that that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. And then also to know that at the end of the process, I get to have a show, which feels so exciting to be yeah. able to show the work. You know, it just felt like a real. Um, helping hand at a point where I really 
it really worked for me. Like mm. I really could do with, I felt like I really could do with that helping hand. Yeah. And yeah, it was like someone just sort of giving you um, sort of help up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was well, it was such great news when I found out. It was um yeah, <laughs> made me <laughs> made me really happy. Um, <laughs> the work and the, the work that, that you proposed um to kind of un, un, undertake out there, um yeah. it kind of um it took Gustav Klimt's three ages of of of, of, of women as its starting point. Now, am I right? So this painting, three ages of women, is um in the National Gallery of modern art in mm. Rome and it's a painting that I had been looking at anyway I think I've known that painting for a really long time yeah but I'd been looking at it since my hair went gray there's a there are three figures in the painting and there's a baby which is being held by a young woman and mm. then there's this elderly woman and I don't have you seen the painting yes yeah yeah I have. she's the elderly woman is standing in profile, totally naked, with her head in her hand, like she's in shame. And mm. it is a very detailed description of an elderly body. Mm. And when you look at it when you're younger, you think, ugh, that, that older body, you kind of, it's as if the natural response to it would be a kind of repulsion because it's compared against these two very youthful figures. Um, and as my hair had gone grey and it was about the same length as this elderly woman, I think I was looking at that image thinking now my reading of that is very different and I'm actually in some way identifying with her as someone who might be me in the future. And then feeling like why should it be that an elderly woman is seen as a shameful uh, being uh, that that seems really problematic and um, when I tried to sort of really explore what, what it was about that painting that kept sort of um, poking at me I couldn't really figure it out but then when I found out that the painting was bought by the museum to celebrate 50 years of the unification of Italy then I realized actually this painting is not, okay, it's about, you know, the shame of the elderly figure, but it's not really just about that. It's about old practices, old ways, superstition, things that don't fit into mm. a kind of modernist view, like, you know, they're not scientific or they're not sort of, uh, they're blurry, they're, they're based on sort of belief systems that are, um, you know, seen as not trustworthy. You, you know, that it seems so much more about what the past, the past being cleared away and sort of ideas of a kind of perfection or, or a type of modernism, mm. scientific or religion, you know, in that respect, yeah. sort of notions of nation the idea of what is a nation and that's like one pure thing rather than very multiple things mm. you know it just meant so much more and it really interested me especially now 
because I thought, you know, we were on the brink, we were on the brink of Brexit. Yeah. And, you know, nationalism is rising all over the world. And what is a nation and what are these ideas of types of kind of purity or, uh, you know, the, the, these are very curious um, developments which you could map onto the early part of the 20th century when this painting was made. You can, you can sort of really see it as a type of mirror of our own situation. Mm. So for me, it, it provided an opportunity to talk about women and have a character who was an elderly woman who was like really powerful and could do really amazing things and sort of re reframe how we think about the image of older women but also to really address these issues that i find particularly interesting and and kind of a bit worrying mm. and to think about structures of power and how they come about and how they're um proliferated by imagery you, you know loads of things like that Mm. seems so interesting to me yeah yeah um and how did you um had, how did you propose uh, that you'd kind of reimagine that and, and had you got to that stage so um partly what i'm i mean writing my proposal was quite difficult because as you can see it's quite quite a um detailed and tangled set of thoughts right yeah. <laughs> Um, my proposal was that one of the things I wanted to look at, I wanted to look at the painting so I could sort of begin to think about articulating the figure. And I wanted to look at Etruscan pottery because I wanted, because the painting has this idea of the past and the future. So I wanted this elderly woman to there to be a narrative where this elderly woman goes to the past and she reorders uh, power structures from the past. Mm. So she th thinks of things differently and sort of resets up our power structures very differently. Yeah. And then I also wanted her to go to the future and be like a sort of sole survivor in the future who finds out how to survive using kind of principles of permaculture and mm. you know sustainable ways of living so anyway it's complicated but <laughs> i wanted to look at etruscan pottery because the power structures from the past that we still rely on are quite often the classics classic classical myths underpin even now our governance yeah. you know the rhetoric of our governance so, you know, you hear Boris Johnson talking about Herculean tasks mm. and, you know, the classics are reiterated a lot in Western politics. Mm. So I wanted this elderly woman to um, do the 12 trials of Hercules because they're supposed to be the myth that are about power, you know, a powerful person mm. gaining power and... Um, if you look at the 12 trials of Hercules, the way that Hercules resolves them is really aggressive. So it's through theft or trickery or 
killing or mm. you know colonizing it's like the the types of aggression that are the history of western power so i thought if an elderly woman was given any of those tasks she might think you don't have to kill anyone to do that. <laughs> yeah. you could um, use principles like commensalism or mutualism or you know you could just think about how these things could coexist or you know yeah. you, you could do differently and if our power structures were based on those um sort of principles mm. then we might all behave differently too so i found that like exciting as a narrative mm. Mm. Um, and then I also proposed to go to permaculture sites in Sicily and really learn about permaculture because I really want to do that. Um, and also to be in a volcanic place um, because I think the future is a sort of um, volatile place. Yeah. And then finally, I also said that I wanted to learn a new way of making so I want to learn um, knitting, like machine knitting, because I've got a kind of plan for the 3D work and how I could use that. Mm. Mm. So it was quite involved. Yeah, so exciting. <laughs> it's so exciting. When are these, when are these six months looking to, to start now? I guess they've, they've kind of put it on hold, hold for a bit. Yeah, postponed actually for a year, so oh, okay. I don't get to go until next April. Oh. But the truth is, I you know I can't go now. Mm. I don't know if I can go in autumn, and I have a lot of shows coming up. Yeah. So then, if I went in January, I wouldn't have time to do the residency and make a show. So it it just you know it is a long way off now, but it it's the best way of dealing with it. Mm. Mm. You know? And it's actually very good that we could. Um, still keep to the program. Yeah, yeah. Shift. Yeah, because yeah. it's 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 biannually. Is that right? Yeah. It's every two years. Yeah. So, I, so I, I guess there's 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 a bit of space for that for that to be able yeah. to shift, which is good. That's it. Yeah. But also, it's like this year is so disruptive for everyone mm. that it's almost as if this is like a null year. We yeah. can't really plan anything this year. Mm. Mm. So it's just the way the world is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, what do you think you're looking forward to the most about being out there? Um, I think there's so many things. I think being able to have the time to really explore things and, and being in a very, very different environment and being able to sort of engage with... Um, so many um, sort of archives or you know experiences firsthand but also just that thing of like you're not in your usual place you're really supported to do something extraordinary that you wouldn't otherwise maybe decide to do so I'm really excited about being somewhere else and mm. having that experience mm. and let just letting things happen you know mm. I think it, it's amazing. It's an amazing opportunity to have, mm. and for the work, and then to know that you, you know, what you do, sort of, will then be sort of seen outwardly is 
it's like really encouraging. It really helps me, I think, with mm. my work. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm I'm really excited to see to see what happens when it when it eventually can. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> well. I wish I wish you could go talking for hours, but we're actually kind of nearing nearing the wow, end. It's like fifty minutes. I know it does. <laughs> I know it goes so quickly. Um, um, but you might know if you've listened to any of the podcasts, you might know that towards the end of our chats, I ask all of our guests two questions. Um, the first of which is, um, if you could swap seats with me and visit anyone in in, in history. Um, who 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 would it be, and what might you want to ask them? I I um, would want to go to see Erika Verzuti, who is a contemporary artist from Brazil, and I saw her show. She had a show at the Pompidou last year, and I loved it. I thought it was brilliant, and I went back. I saw it twice. Um, I just think. I'm really interested in her work and I'd really, if I was in your situation, <laughs> I'd really like to hear all about her her work and her processes, but I'd actually really like to go to her studio and see how she makes things, mm. Mm. you know. Have you been to Brazil? I, no, never, oh. no. That would be fun. Yeah, it? <laughs> it would be fun. It would be fun. <laughs> well, maybe she's listening. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, the second question is, um, has there been um, a piece of advice that, that you've been given or something that someone has, has said to you that's kind of carried through with you um, or through your work? Um, I, there isn't like a single piece of advice that I, I think is a kind of, you know, no, it's really hard to think of a precise quote of yeah. a piece of advice. Mm. But my son, <laughs> this is funny, my son has always said to me, even when he was really young, mm. I'd say, oh, I'm trying to do this or I'm trying to do that. And he always said, keep going, mum. And he always said that. <laughs> and he always said it, just yeah. keep going, keep going, mum. <laughs> and I always thought, that's so true. Yeah. That's so that's right. That's what you have to do. You have to just keep going, mm. and then somehow you resolve stuff when you get somewhere. Mm. I was, yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's a, that's a lovely thing to end on. Um, and and lastly, um, have you got anything or th that you'd like to plug? Anything that you've got coming up, or anyone, or any place? So I will have a show at Eastside Projects in Birmingham. It was supposed to open on the 1st of May, but it will be delayed, I think, until autumn now. Okay. But, um, so I have that, and then I'll have a one-person show at Dundee Contemporary Arts in November. Um, and then I've got a one-person show at the Kunsthalle Gießen, which is in Germany, yeah. in January. Mm. So those are the next things, really. Massively busy year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's nice to be busy yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um well that's i guess that's that's our time unfortunately um it was very nice yeah it was <laughs> it was it was it was that was that was great that was great I, I i loved hearing i loved hearing everything about 
well, learning more really about you and your practice. Um, it's um, yeah, I've, I find it really, yeah, I find it really great. So thank you, thank it's you for giving me time. Idea. No, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, honestly. Um, and um, yeah, I hope I hope the rest of lockdown's kind to you and you're able to continue <laughs> with things. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully see you on the other side. Yeah, hopefully. In real life. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, see you. Yeah, see you. See <laughs> you so well. Well, thank you very much for listening. Please find more information about what was discussed in the podcast in the notes section. And if you like what you heard and would like to keep up to date with new episodes, um, then please subscribe or follow us depending on which listening platform you use. And head over to our Instagram page, at to the studio, which we regularly update with posts about each guest we have and all other goings on as well. To the studio is produced by the audio wizard an all-round great guy that is Theo Bird and I would thoroughly recommend getting in touch with him for all your audio needs. On Instagram, he is birdperson, bird is spelled B-Y-R-D, person. Also, if you can spare a moment to leave us a lovely review, that would help us out a lot and it allows us to reach a few more ears than we are currently. And lastly, if you've got any suggestions or opinions you wish to share with us, then please feel free to do so on any of our social media platforms or send us over an email. Our details are again in um, the notes section uh, of each episode of the podcast. Well, thanks very much again for listening and we'll see you next time.